0: From the high desert in far east west Texas, this is the world's fastest scoring sports media podcast with at Sports TV Ratings. Okay, so before getting to the call with the great John Wilner, I wanted to talk about some feedback I've gotten. And I'm not talking about the please do a podcast on the rumored Fox Disney deal. Uh, And if that deal goes through, believe me, there will be many, many podcasts about that uh, for likely many, many months and years to come. Uh, I'm talking about feedback from folks asking me to include advertising in my podcast, asking for advertising. Uh, To me, it seems pretty crazy. And uh, I'm glossing over some of the stuff. But the feedback basically falls into two groups. Uh, The first group is people who seem to like me, are worried about me, and want me to derive income from the podcast. Uh, To you people, I say thank you very much. I appreciate it. Uh, But no need to worry. Uh, Between uh, selling TV by the numbers a few years ago and uh, then subsequently moving to the desert, I am not in any economic hardship. And uh, the best part of the whole at sports TV ratings thing for me has been all the cool people. Uh, And so to have the podcast as a vehicle to talk to some of those people, whether John Wilner or Jim Miller or Matt Sarsniak, It's a lot of fun for me. Uh, The second class of feedback is some version of people take podcasts that have advertising more seriously. And this is interesting feedback. I'm not too concerned with uh, being taken seriously personally. uh, But if there's some, oh, this is just some dude. I can't listen to that unless there's some ads in this. I don't love that. So screw it. You're getting ads. Today's podcast is brought to you by Amazon's Audible. You get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com backslash stvr. And uh, I think you people know I am all about the audio on demand and uh, not just with podcasts. Audiobooks are a huge part of my uh, audio rotation. And if you've never listened to an audio book, here's your chance to try one out for free. And uh, I'll show some love to Jim Miller, who has done this podcast and is also best-selling author James Andrew Miller, because if you love a good oral history, listening to it with your ears is a really pretty good way to consume it. And uh, it's hard for me to pick a Miller favorite, but uh, if you're listening to this podcast and have never listened to Those Guys Have All the Fun, Jim's book on ESPN, you can't go wrong. It's a a cool origins and growth story, but it's really just uh, 30 hours, uh, 15 hours at 2x speed, uh, of stories about people, uh, but if stories about people are your thing, live from New York, uh, Jim Saturday Night Live book is also pretty great. And if uh, you love a, a good Rorschach effect story, and I do, uh, Powerhouse, the book on CAA was pretty awesome. So pick one of those or whatever you want at uh, AudibleTrial.com backslash STVR. Now on to the call with John Wilmer. Joining me on the High Desert Hotline for this episode is Bay Area News Group's John Wilner. John has been covering college sports for about as long as I can remember and uh, writes prolifically about the Pac-12 conference for the San Jose Mercury News under the banner of the Pac-12 Hotline. And uh, covers everything from the coaching carousel to ASU hiring Herm Edwards to how the Ducks will do without Taggart. And uh, has a vote in the AP Top 25s for college football and basketball, as well as a Heisman vote. He's uh, at Wilner Hotline on Twitter. That's W-I-L-N-E-R-H-O-T-L-I-N-E. And John, welcome to the World's Fastest Scoring Sports Media Podcast with Ed Sports TV Ratings.
1: Thank you very much for having me.
0: Yeah, it's, uh, it's great to finally talk to you. Uh, and, you know, John, I- I've been dabbling with Internet publishing for, you know, pretty much like, I don't know, 23, 24 years. But all of my dabbling is in some very specific kind of inch wide domain. And even if I go a million miles deep, it's still really very narrow, uh, my focus. Uh, and relatively speaking, I-, I perceive you as someone who goes like a million miles wide and a million miles deep. And I, I like, I, I look at stuff like, you you know, Matt Roberts from D one ticker. Like I look at the work that those guys do just aggregating all of the, the range of stuff you cover. And, uh, and I'm worn out kind of by that. So like, how do you do it without, without being overwhelmed? You write about so much stuff.
1: Uh, well, I, those guys at D one ticker do a phenomenal job. Yes, they all. do. Um, yep. and I, I do just get overwhelmed. that. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's, uh, that's the bottom line. I have, uh, Slept on my lounge chair more than I've slept in my bed for the last three and a half months. So uh, I sit up there cranking and fall asleep with the computer on my lap, wake up, computer's still on my lap, start typing again. So, um, you know, I'm just really interested in the stuff that is taking place both on and off the field, you know, and I think that there is a lot of interest, certainly growing interest. In the business side of college sports, because the money is so enormous and has such a sweeping impact on the product. Uh, And the Pac-12, which is what I focus on, is certainly uh, had some controversy, uh, made some controversial decisions. And I think that has added to the interest that fans have. So I'm trying to cover... On the field, but off the field. You know, not only business, but but uh, non-financial matters as well. There's just a ton there. It's yeah. limitless. And uh, I could use a few more hours in the day.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. So uh, I, I'm just curious. Like, uh, dur- during college football season, uh, what what percentage of the week do you feel like you're at work? Is, is it
1: 100%? Well, I... Um, <laughs> I help uh I help get the kids out of the house in the morning. I start really early. I start before dawn, way before dawn, and I help take a break to get the kids out. Then I take a break late in the afternoon to uh to see the kids and uh have dinner and get them to activities for a few hours and then I get get back to it and I type until I fall asleep and and that's that's about it and it is 7 days a week this time of year for sure, you know, through the football season, because there's something going on every day. And, uh, I feel like, you know, the, the season is so intense that especially with this first season of my PAC 12 hotline project, right, that having original content every day was, was going to be, uh, important. So it has been, uh, it has been a fun, but, uh, uh, exhausting, ride since the middle of August.
0: Yeah, I, I you know, I, I, uh, I, I, I kind of feel bad even asking you for, you know, for the thirty minutes to do the podcast. So, uh, so thanks very much. Oh, uh,
1: happy to do it. This is great.
0: So, how how has uh, how has social media changed your workflow? Uh,
1: well, it has gone from not being one single ounce of my workflow, <laughs> you know, ten years ago to dominating.
0: And, and, and i
1: just you know it's you could get on twitter i could get on twitter at two in the morning pacific and yep. somebody's on there at five in the morning eastern who wants to talk about back 12 football
0: yep it's crazy but it's so true
1: it's it's non-stop really uh and i don't really do facebook but i could and i probably will uh but just you know uh, it's it's nonstop. Twitter is, is like walking into a sports bar yep. and having a discussion with whoever happens to be there and whether they like you, don't like you, agree with you, disagree with you. It's just a free for all. And there's a lot to be said about that. I think it's important. But, it you know, it, you have to be careful that it doesn't overwhelm you and you don't get anything else done.
0: Yeah. Yep. It's a, it's, it's a struggle for me and I really don't have all that much to do. And, uh, and it's it, it still, it can, you know, it can be a, it can be a big time sink, uh, especially if if you're just an information junkie. Uh, there's just so much information out there. So I, I wanted to talk a little bit about the uh, sort of the PAC 12 after dark and conference championship date and time. And I think yeah. we, we both agree uh, with the decisions that Pac-12, I think we largely both agree with the decisions the uh, Pac-12 has made to do it the way they're doing it for the reasons they're doing it that way. Uh, but I, I see many complaints, and I, I do get it from the fan side. Uh, I, I, just, I just would like it if you, you, you talk about this issue at large and your thoughts on it.
1: Are you talking about the regular season broadcasting or the championship game specifically?
0: So well, let's start with the championship game specifically and then work our way back to the the regular season Pac-12 after dark.
1: Okay. Well, I think that they've got it right with the Friday night deal. Uh, to me, there's no question about it. If they were on Saturday at 5 p.m. Pacific up against uh, Big, Big Ten and uh, ACC championship games, they would get – Half or a third the audience that they're currently getting, and, and the right. numbers support that. They yep. ESPN had the uh, 2015 and 2013 championship games on Saturdays, and and they didn't do very well. Fox had the the 12, 14, and 16 championship games on Fridays, and they did very well. They yep. more than doubled the the. Audience, so I think that is the place is it is it ideal in an ideal world? no they 'd have their own window on a sat on Saturday, but that's yep. not reality and given yep. the reality, I think Friday is the place the way to go, and you know it's the way to go because e s p n after doing two championship games on Saturdays, saw the numbers Fox was getting from Friday and moved it so yep. you know that is uh that's crucial exposure. they get the night to themselves and uh I think that they have that's the right move and and you know it's the move Fox and ESPN are doing really I mean they have the option to put it whichever night they wanted in the contract it's not the Pac-12 saying hey let's do it Friday but certainly the Pac-12 was smart to give to give them the option and the networks are you know are they're putting it where they think they're going to get the most eyeballs so I got no problem with that I think it's smart the Pac-12 after dark situation during the regular season, it is just such a complicated, nuanced issue, uh, and it all depends on which perspective you're you have. You know, whether it's the fans or the player welfare or the conference business uh, view, media. I mean, it's just it is it is tough to tackle. But in general, I think that. Uh, they gave away a little bit too much flexibility to the networks. Uh certainly they got paid for it. And yep. and it's important to remember that the presidents and chancellors gave Larry Scott the go ahead to get to cut the best deal he could with ESPN and Fox or with whoever was bidding on their right. Tier One rights. Uh and I, he got a good deal uh based on that directive now did they make a mistake by not involving the athletic directors in the negotiations or at least in the framing of the negotiations they probably did because the ad's have a feel for what's going on on the front lines the chancellors and presidents don't larry scott didn't he's new to college sports and i think that if the ad's had been part of the discussion, then on the margins there may have been some changes. Now, could that have cost the conference a little bit of money? Maybe, but I also think that some of the issues they've had are not worth the extra dollars that they're getting so we're not talking about an overhaul oh go ahead
0: yeah so i was just going to say can you can you talk specifically you bring up a a specific issue just as an example and so by the way for people who aren't familiar we're we're largely talking about the uh you know the games like on uh, saturday night or early sunday morning that air after people on the east coast or you know many people on the east coast have gone to bed
1: well yeah they've got i mean you know, ESPN and Fox both view the ten thirty Pacific window as as a prime <laughs> prime viewing. You know, yep. uh that is the number one window some weeks yep. for them. Yep. And yep. uh ten, you know, ten o'clock or ten thirty. And actually it goes as late as eleven o'clock uh Eastern. Um but the problem of course is that you're talking about, especially for the second half of those games, that is awfully late uh, for people to stay up and watch. You're also they're and, not and people getting are at the game late. Yeah, people are at the game late. So, but again, it's it's it depends on your perspective. You know, there's one view if you're a Pac-12 fan trying to go to these games that start at eight o'clock and you got to drive two hours to get home afterwards. Yep. It also depends if you are a Pac-12 fan on the East Coast. And you've got to sit down at 11 o'clock to start watching, and you can't stay awake for the second half. So there's that perspective. There's the issue of whether playing so many night games, especially when you add in the road, uh, the travel demands, yep. is great for the players. Uh, then what about publicity? See, I would argue that and I don't have any hard data here. But, you know, the Pac-12 and the, and the networks will say, well, there's more eyeballs uh, on the games that start at 7.30 or 8 o'clock Pacific because there's no other games on. Right. So even in Chicago and Dallas and Atlanta, you're getting, you know, you're getting more viewers yep. with those games because those people don't have anything else to watch. And I think that's true. But the other issue that people don't often talk about is if a Pac-12 game starts at 1230, and ends at 4 o'clock Pacific, it has got the entire night to be discussed and hashed over and have highlights shown all across the country. So, even a fan who's in Atlanta who didn't actually see the game is going to see the highlights. They could see the ESPN and Fox analysts talking about it, but when a game ends at 2 o'clock Eastern, 2 a.m. Eastern Sunday, there's no you know afterglow to yeah. it people get up in the morning and they turn on the tv and it is nfl so there is no you know stanford tailback bryce love runs for 300 yards and and 200 of those came in the second half of a game that started at 10:30 eastern well nobody saw that on the east coast and nobody's going to see the highlight because when they wake up it's going to be the nfl so That is a component to the whole dynamic that I think probably doesn't get enough discussion. But again, it is such a nuanced, uh, complicated issue uh, that there is no—I mean, there is no right or wrong. But there is certainly there were some missteps, some some missteps within the the bigger the umbrella TV package. A Friday night, uh, you know, another example is is. The conference, of course, in exchange for money, gave a, gave Fox and ESPN the flexibility to have a certain number of Thursday and Friday broadcaster in the season. Because, again, there's nothing else. There, there's very little, if any, college football going on on those nights. Right. Well, as it's unfolded over the years, Friday has been better. For whatever reason, the networks think Friday's better. So they have... Now the vast majority of the games are on Friday, and not Thursday. Whereas when the whole package inventory package began, there were more Thursday than Friday games. But the network seemed to like Fridays. So this year there was, you know, I don't know, five or six Friday games and only one or two Thursday. Well, playing on a Friday is great for the exposure, but the conference didn't take into account what happens for a team that has got to play a road game the previous Saturday. And this has been my biggest – I've been on a soapbox about this since last season. It is inconceivable to me that the conference would think it is okay for student-athletes to play a road game on a Saturday, fly home, get home at midnight or 2 a.m., turn around and have to go play a road game on a Friday. Right, right. That is uh, that is that can't be good. And yet it has happened time and time again. Finally, they have changed the scheduling policy so that next year if you have a Friday road game, you are either off the previous Saturday or you were at home. But it has taken them way too long to respond to that. And and the fact that they thought it was okay in the first place blows my mind and the results on the field certainly substantiate the fact that it's difficult because the road game, the road team on Friday has lost all the games, even when they've been multiple touchdown favorites. Uh, They don't allow teams to play on a Saturday if their next game's Thursday. You can't play Saturday, Thursday. You have to have the Saturday off. Of the year we've got a, basically a 12 day break. What I can't understand is why, if it's not okay to play a Saturday home game followed by a Thursday home game, why in the world was it okay to play a Saturday road game followed by a Friday road game? Yeah. Makes no sense to me. So I think that had the athletic directors – we're kind of getting back to the beginning here – but had the athletic directors been more involved in framing the negotiations with the networks, they may have raised a flag about the the Saturday-Friday road back-to-back, which, again, no other conference is doing that. The Pac-12's playoff teams all lost – playoff candidates all lost Friday game road games the conference scheduled itself out of contention for the playoff this year you know that's another example is is the Saturday of the six-day broadcast options that they have given to the networks each each network has has two six-day options so we're talking about four out of 13 weeks are six-day options but that includes – that can include rivalry weekend. So the vast majority of Pac-12 rivalry games are not – don't have the time set until the previous Sunday, which right. is also something that the ADs probably would have addressed, or at least raised a concern about before they went ahead and signed the contract. But they had Larry Scott and his consultants out there at the negotiating table, and those, guy, those guys, although they are very smart and they got a lot of money – they didn't necessarily think through every, uh, I think, every aspect of, of what the, the potential repercussions on the front lines would be.
0: Yeah, so it sounds, is, is it fair to say Sorry that for the, the ramble? No, no, not at all. That's, a, that's, exactly, that's exactly what I'm looking for. So is, is it fair to, to say that, uh, that that issue, at least from a, from a Pac-12 perspective, is as thorny as the, uh, the Thursday night football issue is for the NFL?
1: The you mean the uh,
0: the Friday? No, no, no. Friday? I'm talking now about the NFL. Like the, the if for the NFL, the Thursday night football. You know, it's a huge safety issue, a huge players traveling issue. A, you know, short weeks, oh, all that stuff. No, the no, Pac-12 no.
1: Friday games.
0: Now, yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I'm asking yeah. if the uh, the issues right. with the Pac-12, I, I guess Thursday and Friday games are the same as. You know, sort of for the Pac-12, as big of a right. thorny issue as the uh, the Thursday games are for the NFL.
1: Well, the Thursday games aren't because he can't play the previous Saturday. So they everybody's if you're playing on a Thursday, you've got twelve I days off. Got
0: gotcha, you. Gotcha, if you're gotcha.
1: playing Friday, though, you don't. And yes, I think, in my opinion, now I don't have any hard evidence on injuries and head trauma and all that stuff. But I just common sense tells you it can't be good for those guys to be playing a, a playing a road game. And and getting treatment on a plane ride home uh, at at midnight, uh, getting to bed at whatever three or four in the morning, turning around and and having to leave town again on Thursday for another road game. Common sense tells you that's not good for him. So uh, it has become an issue, and and the issue grew in significance as. The, each playoff contender lost on a Friday game. SC lost on a Friday night road game in Pullman after playing a Saturday road game. Washington lost a Friday night uh, road game at Stanford. Yep. Washington State lost a Friday night game in Berkeley after playing in Eugene. Washington State played in Eugene five o'clock kickoff. Wow. You know, I'm not exactly sure what time they got back to campus. Probably midnight, one a.m. Uh, Turn around, I had to play Cal on a, on a Friday, lost badly. So, so Washington, Washington State, USC, all lost on Friday nights. Any of those uh, results are reversed, and you've got a whole different postseason picture for yep. the conference.
0: Yep. Well, I mean, so if it if it means anything to you, I am at least uh, somewhat optimistic that that a lot of the uh, a lot of the issues that you're on the soapbox about. Ken uh, and, and probably will be addressed in the next round of rights. I'm not optimistic that uh, Thursday night football is going to go away in the, uh, the for the NFL in the uh, in the next round of NFL rights.
1: Yeah, well, I, I'm I would imagine that the Thursday night NFL is part of the reason that the networks have moved the Pac-12 games to Fridays, um, and that's fine if they're playing on Friday. But you can't you can't have the kids uh, playing. <laughs> the on the road the previous week and again it's it's settled for next year they got smart they changed the scheduling parameters and and it won't be an issue next year but the damage has been done for sure
0: so uh, of uh of any of the uh the pac 12 schools what what's uh what's sort of the ad slash coaching carousel that is your favorite one to watch
1: uh well, I mean, the ASU situation, I think, is fascinating. Um,
0: yeah, talk talk, talk it, about her.
1: Well, it's so unusual, right? I mean, they are the whole thing is unusual, actually, starting with ASU's entire uh, existence, because the University of President Michael Crow has taken higher education to the masses, which is certainly very commendable. They have an online program, and
0: which is giving them they, a war chest
1: war chest. It's also, you know, they pride themselves on being innovative. They've got some, they, they do some cool stuff. There's no doubt about that. They're trying to be innovative in athletics. So he hires as his athletic director, Ray Anderson, who is a very smart guy uh, spent. Uh, I'm not sure exactly, you know, most of a decade uh, in the NFL front office as he, you know, head of operations. And before that he was an agent. And before that he played at Stanford, uh, so he has seen everything, you know, from a bunch of different perspectives, but he has never been a college administrator. ASU went ahead and hired him as athletic director, and he is trying to innovate there. Uh, and certainly Herm Edwards is, uh, you know, I, I called it, uh, not outside the box, but outside our dimension <laughs> of space time, because Edwards has not coached anywhere in 10 years, not coached in college for 30 years. Uh... And they are restructuring their football whole football program to make it kind of an NFL model, where Edwards is going to be kind of a part coach, part GM, part CEO. Uh, they're going to have all these support systems set up, different basically different departments within the ASU football. Uh, you know, they are trying something new. They think that they can't keep doing what they have been doing uh, if they want to get different results. So, you know, I commend them for, for trying to be to think outside the box, I just wonder if they're trying to be too cute here with right. the guy they hired, who was not, uh, you know, didn't exactly win big in the NFL, got fired twice, and hasn't been in coaching in anywhere for ten years. So we'll see if it works. It's going to be fascinating. I mean, Edwards is an incredibly likable figure, and I'm sure he will charm some of the parents. <laughs> But, you know, that's only char- – winning the living room and recruiting is only part of recruiting, and recruiting is only part of winning. So we'll see. But it's going to be fascinating to watch. I mean, if you'll watch his press conference on Monday, you think it's going to be wild. It's going to be yep. the Herm Edwards experience. Uh, I've kind of dubbed it. So it's going to be wild. There's nothing, nothing – uh, I mean, I'm very interested to see who – who Oregon hires, for sure, and very interested to see how Chip Kelly does at UCLA because that is going to have potential yep. consequences for the conference uh, from coast to coast because of UCLA's potential, you know, on the branding and tradition fronts sure. and the the market, the size of the L.A. market. But just for from an entertainment standpoint, I mean, the, the Edwards experience is, is, is a unanimous number one.
0: <laughs> uh, so um, you have a vote in some pretty big deal polls. I do. uh, I can't believe
1: the AP and the Heisman keep coming back to me.
0: And, uh, and, and, and it's, it's kind of crazy because I'm sure that's a lot of fun on multiple levels. um, But I'm, I'm sure there's some, some pressure. So uh, talk, talk both about the, uh, the weekly balloting and the Heisman, which, you know, is not weekly. Well,
1: the weekly balloting, yeah, there is pressure in in a sense that I feel to do it right. I do football and, and men 's basketball, and it's kind of, it's different. those two things are different because the basketball season is so fluid I mean you could have two teams you could have teams playing head to head twice in a two week span, and then you know. How do you account for that on your ballot moving them all around the, the basketball is so fluid you have to look at it a little bit differently than football football uh, for both really my approach is this I got to be able to reasonably defend the positioning of every team on the ballot so when I sit down to do my my ballot at night at the end of the game Saturday night uh, I feel like I got to be able to defend auburn at number six was You know, Wisconsin at 11, Texas A&M at wherever, you know, every spot I got to have a reasonable, uh, a reasonable defense for that positioning. And if I can do that and uh, then I feel pretty good about it, Uh, I I have my own kind of system of evaluating. I, I tend to. Maybe pay a little bit more attention than some voters to to the quality of the competition. I don't mind uh moving a team up after a loss. I mean, if you're number twenty five and you take Alabama to the wire, yeah. maybe you should be higher than twenty five uh, but that basically it is uh it is a uh, a responsibility. I love doing it. I appreciate that the a p keeps asking me to do it uh It's certainly is time consuming, but in a good way. Uh, and it also really helps helps me stay on top of everything that's going on for sure.
0: Yeah. So, uh, where, where did, uh, where did you come out with the, uh, with the actual, uh, you know, top four selection? how did you feel about that?
1: I, uh, I had Ohio state fourth and I thought Ohio state was going to get in because I, I viewed, I took the committee, Kind of at their word, which was, if teams are in a cluster, conference championships uh, are the you know the the deciding factor uh, or right. one of the couple <laughs> of deciding factors. Yep. I viewed Ohio State and Alabama as being in the same cluster. Ohio State's got that terrible loss to Iowa, oh, Iowa but yeah. also had three better wins than any of Alabama's wins. so to me, Ohio State's advantage in their quality wins offset the disadvantage in that terrible loss, hence putting them in Alabama on essentially – because Alabama didn't really have that good of wins – essentially putting them on even plane, and then the big the conference championship would be the deciding factor. That's kind right. of how I looked at it and how I thought the committee would, would go. They decided that it wasn't actually – even if you after you take Ohio State's wins into account – It wasn't close enough for the conference championship to tip the scale to Ohio State, which I think is pretty darn interesting. You know, I know they have their metrics. I I went through their mock selection process, and I know they have a bunch of metrics that don't get a whole lot of publicity. Not certainly as much publicity as quality wins and losses and all that kind of thing strike the schedule you know they have relative scoring they have you know relative uh, winning percentage how how are you doing against your schedule based on how a generic team would do against the schedule how are you scoring and how many points are you allowing against your schedule versus what a generic team would do i understand they've got all that and Alabama grades out great in those things but i still thought that Wisconsin Michigan State and Penn State those three wins would at least get ohio state on the same playing field as alabama whose best win was lsu right. and it didn't it didn't and that was a little bit of a surprise to me
0: so so am am i a heretic for thinking that uh you know what i'm i'm still kind of okay with the four team thing even even if there is a good case to be made that alabama ohio state could have gone either way i like that we get to have the conversation after and i feel like if we go to 8 all of these fun conversations go away
1: yeah i am uh i'm i'm with you i like the 4 i mean to me it makes the conference championship weekend and you know it makes week, weeks 12 13 and 14 you know, pretty close to a playoff, you know, elimination. semifinals.
0: yeah. They're kind of like the, uh, the quarterfinals. So I, I,
1: mean. I like the four. I think that they will go to eight eventually when the current contract expires. There's probably not any doubt about that. What I don't think they should do is add another week of games. You know, add a quarterfinals. In between the conference championships and the semifinals, I don't think they should be playing another week of games. So if they're going to go to eight – you know, they need to rethink the the schedule from week zero through week right, 14, right. the conference championships. And I think that the week zero, and I don't mean to go off on a tangent here. It's okay. I love I, tangents. I do think that week zero, which, which for listeners is basically the final Saturday in August. You know, the season usually starts on Labor Day weekend, uh, first Saturday in September, basically. The la- that Saturday in August, which is usually the twenty fourth, twenty fifth, twenty sixth, is currently being used only uh, in, in a very uh, uh, infrequent situation. Uh, team playing uh, in Australia for the Pac twelve, yeah. or uh, you know, let- this year there was I think there was three or four games that, that week. Uh, and what it does is, if, if you play that week, then you end up with two two buys. Uh, between one and fourteen, you have two weeks off. I'm uh, uh, sorry, between zero and fourteen. Right. right. So it gets an extra week in there, and the thing is that they have moved up training camp. So now teams are starting in late July. I think that they ought to make week zero part of the regular season. They should start full loaded games on that last Saturday in August, twenty fifth, twenty sixth. Because that would free up a week during the season to get the kids more rest. And it would create more scheduling flexibility for the conferences if you've got another week. I mean, they're already at training camp on July 26th. Why not play August 25th or 6th? You know? Why make them wait? uh until September and then have it so condensed to get everything in. Uh so my my thing is is they should really just make week 0 uh, the start of the full load regular season and then then maybe you you could work uh, another round of playoff in a little bit uh easier either getting rid of the championship game or or Uh, championship weekend or something like that. But I think they need to increase their flexibility on the front end of the schedule in order to make it more manageable on the back end.
0: Yeah, that, that, uh, that makes sense. I I, I like the, uh, I like your week, your week zero idea. Uh, I think that uh, for the flexibility that it would give them alone uh, in the scheduling. Uh, So if, if you have a couple of more minutes, uh, I I would like, I would like to, uh, to know like, what's the, uh, what's the hardest, or most frustrating aspect of being a Heisman voter?
1: Oh, Heisman. Uh, nothing hard. I enjoy doing it. What I'll tell you what's frustrating is that the last two or three years, they have really cracked down on Heisman voters disclosing their ballots ahead of time. So, you know, it used to be five years ago. What is this? Two thousand. So we're talking about like Johnny Manziel. Yep. I could have written today you know wednesday here's my here's the heisman val- ballot i turned in monday afternoon i had manzel first i had you know whoever second right well they cracked down on that because there were too many people doing that and then there were certain sur- websites were compiling all the votes well, they,
0: could, they could figure and, out who the knuckleheads were
1: right you got enough of the 900 and something voter you got to get big enough sample size of 960 voters you could figure out who is going to win based on those ballots those public uh, ballots uh, so yeah. they started to cra- you know so you know some website would project you know we've compiled 150 ballots and and Johnny is going to win by x amount and here's who's going to be second so the Heisman felt like they were getting undermined by that and there was no drama to the ceremony so they cracked down and they told all the voters they made us sign a a, deal, a pledge where you know, you you are if you're going to vote, you can't disclose your ballot until the award has been presented. And I mean, I don't have a problem with that ethically. Uh, they can do whatever they want. And I don't I don't I don't feel like I'm doing a disservice to to readers by not disclosing my ballot beforehand. As long as I disclose it afterward, right. I feel like I've I've hit the transparency bar uh you know that I'm responsible for whether it's you know Thursday or Saturday night I don't know that it, it doesn't matter to me so I don't have a problem with that but it has totally it, it, now this week nobody writes about the Heisman this week because right the people right, who are voting right. aren't telling you who they're voting for so nobody's writing about it you know you get so the there's no upfront upright. buzz
0: either now yeah. there's no
1: buzz there's no yeah. buzz and the ratings have gone down and the show's terrible and uh <laughs> I think they have uh, they have undermined their own product by eliminating the the buzz, our ability to write about it, you know? Um, And not every year would you be able to figure out exactly who was going to win. So, to me, that's been... I I liked writing about it, middle of the week. You know, the finalists are announced Monday evening. Uh, Yeah, I liked writing Wednesday, Thursday, here's who I voted for, here's why, let's see what's going to happen. Uh, But they don't want us doing that anymore. So, you know, some reporters, when the Heisman came out with that edict, some reporters said, yeah, screw you. And they they turned in their ballots, uh, you know, gave gave up their voting rights. And I understand that. I got no problem with that. To me, it's not uh, it's not a line in the sand. I just think it's a dumb move by the Heisman.
0: Right, so um, I'll get you out of here on this. I, I, you're a Pac-12 guy and a and a college sports guy, but uh, I know you li- you like the uh the general sports business world as well. And uh, yeah. there was some big news or or rumored big news that came out yesterday, which is that uh, in the uh, in the talks between uh, Disney and Twenty First Century. Uh, whatever those talks are now include the, uh, the regional sports networks of Fox, which would, uh, which would go to Disney if any deal gets done. And I would just like to hear uh, how, how you, how you reacting to that, that news early on.
1: Well, I mean, I think it's going to be awfully interesting. It certainly is part of that whole Disney, uh, the ESPN over the top play. uh, OTT plus, I think it is. Yep. And, uh, I think that that is going to be something that everybody's got to have to watch, right? Because the the state of over the top once twenty twenty two twenty twenty three hits is going to be gigantic for framing the the new tier one negotiations for the Pac twelve for the Big Ten. Right, right. Um, you know, they need uh, the from the Pac twelve standpoint. They they need over the top to be as popular as possible. To increase the value of all their content because they own all their content and if 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 that 's the case they 're going to be in great shape not only with the number of bidders but with their asking price if over the top has not quite caught on you know if it 's still kind of in the state that it is today where yeah. some people have it, but you know there 's all kinds of problems with the stream and you know it 's just not. It it just doesn't – you don't get the experience you do watching it a traditional way. Then the Pac-12 is going to be in trouble because then this whole big bet that they have made on 100% ownership of their content may not pay off like they think. And so all of the money that they have been not collecting because of their current model, they're not going to make up for that with their – you know with their tier 1 deal and they're they're counting on being able to make up for lost ground with a gigantic tier 1 deal and and that tier 1 deal could be partly with ESPN and it could be partly yeah. with Google or partly with Facebook I have no idea but they are counting on a maximum uh uh, uh having tons of leverage and maximum payout and anything short of that is going to make the model that they have had for a decade looked like it was a mistake. So the over-the-top situation is is just, to me, fascinating and critical not only to the Pac-12 but to other conferences.
0: Right. Yeah. It's 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 interesting in the uh, sort of the the down the line uh, ramifications uh, if if uh, the, the the rumored deal gets done. Uh, There's just going to be so much stuff to watch out for. It's it's going to be a fun time. Hey, hey John, I really appreciate you doing this. uh, I'll try to find out whatever your off-season is when you're not so busy and have you back on. Uh, But thanks very much for joining the podcast.
1: Yeah, off-season will be about June 10th to June 12th. So let's (laughs) talk. I'm I'm going to email you for
0: June 11th. uh, That's right. All right. Thanks very much. My pleasure. Thanks a ton for having me. Thanks again to John Wilner for joining the podcast. Again, you can find him on at Wilner Hotline on Twitter. And uh, I'll include a link in the episode description, but if you Google Wilner Pac-12 Hotline, you'll find it easily, and uh, you can even uh, sign up for uh, a daily digest of all John's stories. And uh, you can find all the past podcast episodes on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and SportstvRatings.com. And on top of that, I uh, started a little daily newsletter letter experiment, and you will not find that easily on Google, but if you follow me on Twitter, or visit sportstvratings.com, you can probably find it. Thanks for listening.